Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your spirit about your church in Acts chapter 6. How your blessings on that church produced challenges and how your blessing on this church produces challenges as well. Help us to see them for what they are, opportunities to bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Today we continue with our series entitled Acts, 30 Years That Changed the World. Last week we looked at the apostles. Remember they were rejoicing after they got beaten uh, from the Sanhedrin and how God blessed them and God was doing miracles through them and how the church continued to grow. And uh, today we're going to look at how the early church grew and specifically how they handled that growth. Uh, so this morning's message is entitled, The Secret, excuse me, The Search for Servants. The Search for Servants. I want you right off the bat to notice two things about this passage that I just read to you because there was a problem that developed. First, is that Christ designed his church to grow. In fact, the very first verse in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In those days when the numbers, a number of disciples was increasing. And when I say increasing, I mean increasing. One day or one week, it would be uh, a certain amount, and then it would grow by hundreds or even thousands very quickly. God was blessing his church. He's preparing it for something very important and very powerful uh, because Stephen, and we'll try to look at that next week. I tried to fit it in this morning. I just couldn't do it. But Stephen uh, is the first martyr. He's about to get himself killed. I say get himself killed. He, he makes him really mad and he could have kept his mouth closed, but he decided he didn't want to do that. And I commend him for that. But he, he, if you remember the story, we'll talk about it next week. He sees the heavens open and he goes, oh yeah, there's God and there's Jesus right by him. And of course, they, their minds just exploded and they, they stoned to death when they saw that, heard that. So, but an amazing thing. And what happened as a result of the stoning of Steve, uh, Stephen? Many people will go through years or decades, an entire lifetime of sharing the gospel and not have the same powerful effect that Stephen had just by dying. Is that not extraordinary? God uses people for his own purposes. We'll get to that next time, but it is a, a beautiful moment. So in the middle of that, in, in, in this very chapter, in the context of that, the church is now growing. Christ designed his church to grow in those days when the number of disciples was growing. Multiple times, Luke has already mentioned the church was growing, was growing and at an exponential rate. Now that produces some challenge logistically. How do you manage that kind of growth? Well, you get a copy at the bookstore of the Purpose Driven Life or the Purpose Driven Church or no, they didn't have that. Oh, well, you go to a seminar for that. No, they didn't have seminars for church growth. 
Well, so you, you go to seminary. Well, they didn't have seminaries for church yet. They had no resources. They couldn't Google it. There was no Wikipedia for church growth. There was nothing. But there was the Holy Spirit to guide them. We'll get to that in just a moment. Like all churches, God also designed this church to grow. Here at First Baptist Church, and by his grace, it is growing. Why? And I want to make very clear, and I probably have told you this before, but I'll say it again. I'll make no pretense about it. First and foremost, it isn't the preaching, or the music, or the ministries, or the programs, or the facilities, or the staff, or the budget. It is the mercy of God, and it is his hand in this church and his sovereign plan for this church that has brought us this far. God has plans for the church, and they go way beyond you and me. I don't know when Christ is coming back. I hope it's today. I really hope it's today. By the end of the day, I prefer that. Let me go home, sing my goodbyes to, to all my pagan friends. <laughs> Facebook. And they're ready to go. I hope it happens today. But, and it may happen today, by the way. I, I'll be thrilled. It may happen tomorrow. It may happen in 20 years or 2,000 years. We don't know. We don't know the day or the hour. Only God knows. What we do know is there's something that God wants us to do between now and that day. And that's what we need to be focused on. And, uh, because whether we die of natural causes or we uh, are, are ascended into heaven to be with Christ at the second coming, either way, we're going to have to give an account of this life. And I want to be ready for that day. Amen. And so the church is growing here, and it is by the mercy of God. And if Christ doesn't come back for another 100 years, another 300 years, another 1,000 years, I believe that God has big plans for this church in Hazel, Texas. In fact, just 20 years from now, if I'm still alive by the grace of God, and those of you who are here, some of you, because some of you are here, you were here 20 years ago, and as I'm having a conversation, again, if I'm alive and you're having a conversation with one another about this church, you'll think, remember back in 2022, that was an interesting year. We were such a tiny church. And you'll remember with great fondness of how God has blessed the church and how many people have come to faith in Christ and how many pastors and worship leaders and missionaries came out of this church and, and how much fruit was born in the kingdom of God through this church that's going to happen in the next 20 years. And you and I get to be a part of that. What a blessing that is. Beyond that, by the way, I'll be quick to add, you have had a part in that already. As a congregation, you have been willing to step up, sign up, show up, pay up, and work hard to do your part to make the ministries we, hear, we have here at First Baptist Church bear good fruit. And thank you. And please continue to do that. By the way, if you feel that the ministries of this church are helpful, that the music is beautiful or the sermons are powerful, there is a reason for that. And I've told you this before. It is because we have a strategic prayer group that meets every week that bathes this church in prayer. I believe that if we didn't have a prayer group, and you may be doing this at your home, and God bless you if you're doing that. You're welcome to join with them. But wherever you are, 
I, I welcome you and plead with you to pray for this church. Because if there were not people that were passionately praying for this church, we'd still be running 50 across the street. It is because of God and his mercy and because of people willing to pray and pray and pray that this church has grown. If you've looked at the back of your bulletin lately, you've noticed that our staff has grown in proportion to the church's growth. I remember <laughs> if, we, if we did that, we didn't even do it when I came here, we only had two staff members and one of them quit a few months after I got here. And so on our bulletin, there would just be one picture on, on the back. And that would be me. And so God has really blessed us since then to give us a, a full staff. And again, God has provided. Um, by the way, uh, I know even though God has provided, he has used you and you've been willing to add to our staff. And so thank you. Some may ask, do we really need a staff that big? And the answer is no, for a church of 300, which is what we were last year. Last Sunday, though, we had 458 in worship. And who knows what we'll have this time next year? Oh, God knows. So again, God has plans for the church, and so we need to accommodate that. And that's what they did here, and we'll look at this in just a moment in some detail. Now, I'll say that to tell you that problems and challenges develop when church, churches grow. And if leadership is not in place to, to deal with those needs, which is what happened in Acts 6, and we're trying to keep with, up with that here as well. <clears throat> That's the reason, by the way, that we are adding to the deacon body in the months to come. Men, we need from among you men willing to serve in leadership with a servant's heart to help us move forward. So we're gonna be asking some of you to step up and to fill that need. So again, this is where we find the church in Acts 6. Needs came up that were beyond the apostles' ability to handle by themselves, so deacons were called to do it. The word deacon means servant, and the church needs servants, both officially and unofficially. <clears throat> that is, you don't always need to have to have a title uh, to serve in God's kingdom. But we do see in Acts chapter 6 a precedent for a need for deacons. This is where deacons were born, right here. Today, there are many roles and there are many opportunities to serve in the church. Here at First Baptist Church, we thrive on sign-up sheets. We love them. You can go out to the welcome desk and there's a stack of sign-up sheets. You can sign up for all kinds of things. And even more than that, let me tell you what I love about this church. <clears throat> People come to me on a fairly regular basis and they say, Pastor, I've got an idea for a ministry. Just a few months ago, one of the men came to me and said, Pastor, I've got an idea for a ministry to, to the boys in this church. I want to take them camping. I want to teach them to, to shoot a bow. I, I want to teach them to hunt. Uh, I want there to be a boys ministry here. Now, when I was a kid, we had RAs and we went hunting and we didn't go hunting. We went fishing and camping with them. And so there's been a need for that here. Awana's is a great program, but it doesn't have that. So he came to me and said, Pastor, I, I really feel God is leading me to, to lead this ministry. And I love to hear that. Last week, I had another couple come to me and say, they said, hey, we want to start a ministry here at First Baptist Church. Let me, let me tell you our idea. I just love to hear that. 
So thank you for that. And that's exactly what had to happen in this church in, in Acts chapter 6. Things had to change in order to accommodate all that God was bringing into the church. Rick Warren says, The greatest need in evangelical churches is the release of members for ministry. A Gallup survey discovered that only 10% of American church members are active in any kind of personal ministry, and that 50% of all church members have no interest in serving in any ministry. He continues to say that God expects every Christian to use his or her gifts and talents in ministry. Now let me tell you what happened in this church in Acts chapter 6. We're five, six, seven, eight thousand members of that church that sprung up overnight. They didn't know this, but God had already been preparing them for that church. They didn't realize it, but for years, God had given them an inclination, a gift, an ability, a personality that would lend towards some ministry in that church so that when it came time and the Spirit convicted them and they came to faith in Jesus Christ, they already had that within them. Still others came into the church without a lick of ability and the Holy Spirit just gifted them through spiritual gifts in order to serve the church. It's extraordinary. This may be your first time here at First Baptist Church, but it may be God has been gifting you for years or even decades for what he wants to do through you here in this place. You didn't know we were here, but God knew we were here and he knew he was going to bring you here. And so we see this beautiful thing that happened there in Acts chapter 6. In some churches in China, they welcome new believers by saying, Jesus now has a new pair of eyes to see with, new ears to listen with, new hands to help with, and a new heart to love others with. God will use you. Christ will use you. He will speak through you and use you for his glory. So first, God designed his church to grow. Now, I've told you this before, we're in a growing area, and so his church really ought to grow just to, just to maintain uh, how much more in, a, in an area like this. Who knows? <clears throat> when we're having that conversation in 10 or 20 years, just 10 years from now, the conversation, and so, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm getting a little older, and so I have conversation with older church members. Some of you are sitting out there. I didn't say old, I said older. And we have conversations that start with, I remember what it was like in Azel when. You ever those conversations? I've had members tell me, I, I remember what it was like in Azel before there was a single stoplight. We have members that old <laughs> that have been here that long. I'm trying not to look at them. Members will say, I remember Azel back before there was even a Walmart. When Jerry and I came here, there was a Kmart. There was no Walmart, and the Kmart shut down. And so we had to drive 20 minutes to buy anything. It was awful. <laughs> and so God is really, in just 10 years, we will about that time probably be celebrating the bypass. They're putting Lake Worth right now. The bridge will be complete. Imagine what's going to happen and how many people are going to come out here and, and, and live out here because they'll be able to commute straight to and from the Metroplex without any stoplights 
you think, you think it's growing now, it will really be growing then. And I know all the headaches with traffic and all of those kinds of things, and that causes us to cringe, but for you and I, it is an opportunity to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. Even now, God is preparing hearts. They're in some other town, some other city, working some other job, or on other, the other side of the Metroplex. They have no idea that God is gonna bring them to Azel to bring them into your path and my path so that we can lead them to Christ. So God designed his church to grow. Secondly, this need in Acts chapter six came to light because of a problem in the church. The ministry to the widows was lopsided. And in a nutshell, what was happening is the church found itself to be a unique entity in the world, in fact, in history. <clears throat> you had two worlds in Israel. You had Jews and you had Gentiles. Gentiles were anybody but Jews. Uh, they, they were often Greeks or Grecian. And so in the church, because Christ's blood covers all. They had Jewish converts and then they had Grecian converts. They had Jews and Gentiles that were converted and through the blood of Christ became one for the first time in history. Never happened before with anything else. Not like this. They were one. The problem is they were from different backgrounds and different cultures and among them, and this is not a church of 150, this is a church of thousands among them, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of widows, elderly ladies with no husbands to provide for them. And so they had a ministry that they would feed them each evening. <clears throat> Unfortunately, the Jewish converts tended to pass out bread for the Jewish widows and the Greek converts apparently passed out bread to the Greek widows, but there were a lot more Jewish converts than Greek converts. And so the Greek widows were just kind of being overlooked. Now, I read commentaries and all, all kinds of speculation about whether it was intentional or whether it was just a logistical issue that needed to be addressed. We don't know, but I can see that there was some tension that re resulted because uh, these widows were being overlooked. And so that became an opportunity. God needed that need. He needed that opportunity. He needed that problem because he wanted to use that problem to his glory by creating the office of deacon. And that's exactly what happened. It led them to create deacons. <coughs> now, I say I have to say this. Churches have problems. Now, before I tell you anything from this point, I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm not reacting to anything in this church. In fact, you guys are great. You're not perfect because your pastor's not perfect. And so we're imperfect people. We make mistakes. This church will have growing pains and will continue to do that. But you guys have been a place of peace. Thank you for that, by the way. You keep that up. But there are going to be problems that I can't even foresee right now when we grow. I'll be honest with you. I've never pastored a church of 500, let alone 1,000 or 2,000 or however many people God brings to this congregation. So I'm learning along with you and there are gonna be problems, but we will work through them for the glory of God. There are opportunities in those problems that we're gonna see. So there was some tension and churches have problems. All churches have problems, by the way, every church. The church in Corinth was really the model for the church for of problems. 
They mastered in problems. They were great at it. They were a mess. They had cliques in the church. They had theological disagreements, strong theological disagreements. They had gluttons in the church. They had to deal with that. People, they had people that refused to get along. Not just groups of people. There were groups and factions in the church. They had individual, individuals in the church that just wouldn't get along with one another. <clears throat> shockingly, and I mean shockingly, there was immoral behavior in the church that was allowed. One guy was sleeping with his stepmom and everybody's patting him on the back. <laughs> yeah, they're messed up. So I don't, know, I don't know what's going on here. I hope everybody's okay, but surely we're not doing that. There was also a massive abuse or misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. And, and Paul's challenge was for them to take those spiritual gifts and use them for the glory of God. Because even preachers can misuse their gifts for their own glory. Turn on your TV and you can see that. But like Corinth and like Acts chapter 6, we all have problems and challenges. Maybe different problems, but still challenges nonetheless. It is how we deal with those challenges that is of great importance, that define us. Some congregations deal with problems well, and others, not so much. Some of you here could tell me battle stories about churches you've been a part of in the past. <clears throat> Tom Rainier was, for many years, the CEO, excuse me, Tom Rainer, was the CEO of Lifeway. Lifeway is what we older folks used to call what? The Baptist Bookstore, amen. And uh, for many years now, it's been called Lifeway. He was the CEO, and he served at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary for 12 years, and he was the founding dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions and Evangelism there. He reported on actual reasons why some churches have had disagreements and even split. He's authored books and writes articles. And so he had a survey from churches about why they split actual responses from conflicts in churches throughout the United States on why they split or what they had disagreements about. From that, he, 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 uh, he picked 25 of what he calls his favorites uh, among churches. Southern Baptist churches, by the way, actual churches that had these disagreements. Now, I'm going to read all of them to you, but I, I, I'll try to get through some of them. In one church, he says, there was a huge argument over the appropriate length of the worship minister's, the, the music minister's beard. They had an argument about the appropriate length of the music minister's beard. I'm happy to report Roxanne has no beard. <laughs> so we're okay. One church had a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or use the land for a cemetery. In another, a deacon accused another deacon of sending an, an anonymous letter, and they decided to settle the matter in the parking lot. That's right, they decided to settle it like men. And by men, I mean like junior high boys on the playground. They actually went to fisticuffs over their disagreement. <clears throat> a church... Uh, another church had an argument and a vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. Now, we have a big clock back there. Don't look at it. It's a big digital clock, and you know why it's there. In fact, some of you have commented to me. I don't think, not many, but a few, have said this to me. I don't think we should have a clock in the sanctuary. Get rid of that clock. Why don't you have that clock back there? 
But some of you, thank God for that clock <laughs> because it makes me realize I've been preaching too long. And so this church had a big argument over the clock. <clears throat> um, one church had a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase, whether to purchase black or brown, a two-drawer, drawer, three-drawer, or four-drawer cabinet. <clears throat> Another church had a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer, which is interesting since we have no pictures of Jesus. Uh, but I'm sure Jesus was very flattered that his own church was fighting over his picture. Uh, another church had a petition to have all church staff clean-shaven. So our new staff member, Jacob, and his Apostle Paul beard would have to go. Um, I call it his Apostle Paul beard. I like the beard. Uh, another church had a big church argument over the discovery they had a discovery after an audit that the church budget was off by 10 cents. Someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. Again, really happened. A dispute in the church, another church because the Lord's Supper had accidentally included cran grape juice instead of grape juice. I don't like cran grape either, but goodness. Another church had a business meeting argument about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve it. Another church had arguments over what type of green beans they should serve at their fellowships. Another church, in fact, two churches, two different churches, he says, reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members actually left the churches over the issue. Another church had an argument on whether or not the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal because it has the word deviled in it. <laughs> Another church had an argument on who has the authority to buy. Oh, I already said that one. Uh, over, no, I didn't. Uh, over who has the authority to buy postage stamps for the church. They got in a fight over who can buy the stamps. Another church had a disagreement over using the, the term potluck instead of pot blessing because the concept of luck contradicts the theology of a, of a sovereign God. Amen. Another church, uh, uh, a member was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup to the coffee server and it looked too much like a liquor bottle. Amen. Another church had an argument <clears throat> over who has access to the copy machine. Uh, some church members left their church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them and it resulted in a major fight and a split in the church. The vacuum cleaner. Wow. Another church had a fight over whether or not to sing happy birthday each week. When I first came here, we did that. You know, when, when you're a little church, you fill up the hour however you can. <clears throat> and so we didn't have that many members. And so if you had a birthday, you had to go put money in the piggy bank. Remember that? It was shaped like a church. I don't know if any of you were here then or you remember that. But you put money in, in the piggy bank. So if you're 60, you had to put 60 pennies in. And then we, we torture you by singing happy birthday to you. A church had a, a fight over that. Well, the church in Acts 6 dealt with their challenges the correct way, the God-honoring way. And I want you to notice the result. Look with me in Acts chapter 6, verse 6. 
They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. This is the, the commissioning of, uh, of the, the ordination of the first deacons. Verse 7, so, that means the result, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So immediately it gives you three results of them dealing with challenge in a godly manner. Number one, the word of God spread. If we are doing what we're supposed to be doing here at First Baptist Church, the word of God will spread. And don't you know that we will reap eternal dividends from that? And when I mean eternal, I mean eternal. What you and I do here, and part of that is just getting along with one another and loving one another and overlooking problems, challenges, and conflicts, will have ramifications 20 trillion years from now. I mean eternal. Secondly, so one, the word of God spread. And by the way, when the word of God spreads, people get saved. And when people get saved and we are a part of leading them to Christ, it increases our treasure in heaven. Now, whatever that treasure is, we know it's not gold or silver. It's something way better than that. But 20 trillion years from now, I really look forward to coming across somebody. And they said, you know what? That church, First Baptist Church, was a church that got along with one another. They worked together for the kingdom of God. And I happened to come into that church when I was 12 years old. And I went to the youth group and I accepted Christ. And that's why I'm here today. 20 trillion years from now ramifications. So number one, the word of God spread. Number two, it says the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased what? R rapidly. Do you see that? Verse seven, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem, just one town, one city, increased rapidly. There was not only growth in the church, there was rapid growth in the church because the church was doing what the church is designed to do. And number three, I find this extraordinary, and a large number of priests, these are, are uh, Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. So there's your leadership right there. God already had plans for leadership in the church. If anybody knew how to lead, it would be Jewish priests. And so God began to convict them and lead them and bless them as they came to faith in Jesus Christ and joined the church. I can't tell you how many times I've seen videos on YouTube or heard testimonies over the years of Muslim imams coming to faith in Jesus Christ or Jewish leaders coming to faith in Jesus Christ or atheist leaders come to faith in Jesus Christ and as Christ transformed their life, he took all of that ability they had for those false religions and used them for his glory in Christ's kingdom. So um, this, may, <laughs> this may shock you, but I took two full semesters of weightlifting in college. I was the skinniest kid in class. I found out pretty quick that there's some exercises on those weight machines that I liked a lot, and then there were some exercises that I didn't like at all. And you just tend to naturally gravitate toward the exercises that you do like, and my, my least favorite was the one that works your hamstrings. It's like a 
torture device. You lay down on your stomach on this bench and you put your heels under a bar that's got weights on it and you lift that bar using your hamstrings. Well, I don't happen to have any hamstrings to speak of. And it was just painful for me. Uh, now, I wasn't alone. Uh, there in, in my university, and you have probably seen this as well, we had guys, they lived at that gym and they had their favorite machines too. They would have huge biceps and shoulders and a huge chest and ripped abs and tiny little skinny legs. So if there's anything that I can say positive about my physique, I am proportional. So... <laughs> Well, the church can be that way, be remarkably strong in some areas, and yet with skinny little legs in other areas, very anemic in other areas, but that's not God's plan, that's not his design. We are to work together for, for, the, for the purpose of the kingdom, using the gifts that God has given us to make the whole church strong. This church needs you for the glory of God. Of course, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, that famous passage describes that very thing. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. Listen to what it says. From him, the whole body, that's us, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work work. Nantucket, Massachusetts is located to, uh, next to important shipping lanes running across the east coast of the United States. Toward the end of the 1800s, a very long time ago, sailing ships were in their heyday. Nantucket Island saw hundreds of vessels passing by every day, all navigating without the advantages of modern technology. Treacherous shoals and stormy weather led to over 700 shipwrecks in the surrounding waters of Nantucket. Did you know that? That's extraordinary. 700 shipwrecks around those waters. It caused the area to be dubbed, uh, dubbed a, graveyard, uh, the, a graveyard of the Atlantic. Prior to the advent of organized life-saving sailors involved in a wreck, or, uh, excuse me, uh, sailors involved in a wreck were likely to perish. Now we call 911, or they call the Coast Guard. They send ships and helicopters and personnel to lift them out of there. They didn't have that in the 1800s. There was no Coast Guard to deliver them, no, no ships, no helicopters, no technology of any kind. And if you were shipwrecked, you had to either drown or swim your way to shore. And so it was a huge problem. Even if fortunate enough to make it to the shore, the limited shelter offered by the dunes did not significantly improve the sailors' chance of survival. There was nothing, no care or treatment for them when they got on shore. So if they were bleeding, if they were cut, there was nothing for them. There was no warm hut, there were no blankets, there was nothing to help them survive. 
Faced with the large number of shipwrecks and how many had died, the people of the surrounding communities began efforts to save the lives of shipwreck victims. They built life-saving huts along the shores, gave swimming lessons to Boston public school students. They produced instructional posters on, on resuscitation methods and developed volunteer lifesavers that would row out to the ships to rescue the shipwrecked sailors. These were incredibly brave, strong, and heroic men because the ships would wreck in bad weather. So you had to row out in bad weather in order to rescue them. And back then you were constantly under threat of yourself sinking in your boat, just trying to rescue others. On March the 31st of 1879, a violent storm swept across Nantucket Sound, bringing powerful winds, freezing rain, snow, and heavy fog. Now, I've never been out on the ocean when it was freezing rain and snow, but it doesn't sound fun. By April 1st, over 68 vessels lay wrecked or disabled around the island. This led to the largest rescue effort in the island's history. 68 shipwrecks in one storm. Captain Thomas uh, Sansbury and his crew of volunteer lifesavers rowed their surf boat toward the schooner called John W. Hale. They rescued the crew and rowed them back to, the, uh, to safety uh, on shore. Then they went back out to the stormy sea and made their way to a schooner called Emma J. Edwards. She was rolling from side to side and her mast would thrash the sea with every turn, making it impossible to get near the ship to make a rescue. A sole survivor was visible. So George, a man named George Coffin tied a line around his waist to prevent himself from being swept away and jumped from the surf boat. George Coffin rescued the survivor. For 32 consecutive hours, Sandsbury and his crew endured the hardships of the storm and moving from wreck to wreck, they rescued more than a dozen sailors. Other crews were doing the same. By the time the storm began to break, Nantucket's volunteers had rescued over 40 sailors. The U.S. Congress recognized the courage of Sansbury. Captain Sansbury was given a gold medal, and silver medals were awarded to each of his crew. There is actually, to this very day, a museum dedicated to all these brave men that served as lifesavers. The motto of the group was, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Though they were never paid, they never lacked for volunteers. They risked everything to save lives. And that is the function of the church of Jesus Christ. To risk everything to save lives. What God is doing through you and in this place is important for today, for next year, and for decades to come. Join with us. I don't want to have any regrets on Judgment Day. I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's work together to that end. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning and we rejoice in the church in Acts chapter 6. Brand new. No book to read, no seminar to go attend, no strategic guide. They had to figure it out. Of course, they had the work of your spirit to 
gift them and empower them and to organize them. And we thank you for the example that, that the church had in the midst of this very first problem, the distribution of food. Impossible for 12 disciples to distribute food themselves to hundreds if not thousands of needy in the church. So you gave them the wisdom to come up with a plan to form a group of men willing to serve, willing to wait on tables, willing to humble themselves and become the first deacons. And from that, how many tens of millions of deacons have there been? How many billions of Christians that have found places of service in your churches for your glory? Even today, Lord, in this place, there are those that have dedicated their life to prayer, to service. For your name's sake. Still, there are others that come every week, and I know they are loved by you, but they come to service and that's it. Or maybe there are those that are here for the first time or they're new in this area and they're looking for a place where they can glorify you. Father, if you have led them here, may you be glorified through their commitment to you. May they find, find a place here where they can use the gifts that you've given them, the talents that you've taught them, the energy that you've provided to further your kingdom because the kingdom must grow. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? And I don't know where you are. Some of you, I see you all the time working in the ministries of this church. Maybe you're just visiting from out of town, but you're devoted to a church in another town and you pour out your heart so that the gospel can be furthered there. God bless you if that's the case. But it may be God is challenging you. You're, the Holy Spirit is leading you right now to do something that will have permanent, eternal ramification. Now, you can't earn your salvation. That is the mercy of God through the blood of Christ, through faith. You can't earn it. But if you're a believer in Christ, you've surrendered your life to Christ, what you can do is work hard for the glory of God in the kingdom. There are eternal ramifications from that in heaven. Whatever that reward is, how many lives can you bring to Christ? How many people can hear the good news? How much ministry can take place? How many mission trips? How many songs can be sung? And how many prayers can be offered that you get to be a part? How many needs met? Would you be willing to consider that today? As you're praying, no one's looking around. I wasn't kidding when I said there's a stack of sign-up sheets at the welcome desk. There are opportunities for you here to serve for the glory of God. No one's looking around. Would you stand? All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. Can I challenge you this morning? Maybe you've never accepted Christ and today is the day of your salvation and you want to surrender your heart to Him. 
you want to surrender to his lordship and you believe in the faith in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. You want to come forward and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. Everybody that Jesus called, he called publicly. There were no secret Christians, not then or, and not now. And so I challenge you to come and confess him openly. Maybe God is calling you or your family to serve this church, his kingdom in this place. And God has led you here. You just want to come up and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or you want to come up and kneel and pray. If God is leading, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. As we pray, you come.